Wow, it's been a crazy year, hasn't it? Crazy, crazy year, 2020. First year of the tribulation, I guess. Feels like a lot of tribulation. You know, when I talked to Brad the last couple weeks about uh, kind of where we are going in, uh, in this moment, kind of this season in uh, Core Church, uh, he said, you know, we're, we're, we're walking through a series on endurance. And I thought, man, boy, do we need to hear that. Do I need to hear that right now? How to endure. How to keep going. And uh, endurance isn't easy. Uh, you need some ingredients, some soul ingredients to endure. You don't just kind of get up and try to get through it by yourself. You've got to lean into some things. And so as he said, Blaine, I'd really like you to talk about hope and how our hope helps us to endure. I I thought, man, I've been there because I have been in a hopeless situation. I have felt like life was hopeless. I have been there where I felt like I'd rather life didn't go on than having any reason for it to go on. And uh, he shared with me our, our text that we're kind of walking through uh, these three weeks, and uh, I love it. It's one of, the, you know, one of the, the great Christian texts that so many of us know. It says that we abide in faith and in hope and in love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And so these are the, the core uh, virtues of our faith. These are the, the core characteristics of what it really means to name Christ and to, to live out our, our Christian life, faith and hope and love. And when we talk about hope, uh, I'm drawn to that passage where it says in Psalms that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those that are crushed in spirit. I like that, that God just kind of gets even closer when we're hopeless. That when we're feeling the crushing weight of our world, that that's when he gets closer. That's when he comes alongside us. And there's people right now that are sitting in your seats, and if you were honest, there's, there's places where there's a, a lack of hope. Like you're wondering what's next. Might be in your marriage, it might be in a relationship, it might be in your finances, your job. Might be a a loved one that you're concerned about or that has walked away. Might be your health. But there's, uh, there's hopelessness in our lives at times and we have to know how to deal with that. And so I was praying this week and I was drawn to this story Of course, when you go to the Old Testament, we have to realize that the entirety of the Old Testament was pointing to one thing, and that was the coming of Christ, the the introduction and the emergence of the Messiah, and that in each individual story that you look in Scripture, you can see Christ. You can see Jesus at work. It's foreshadowing, if you will, of who Jesus was and would be, and I think we see some of this in this beautiful story in the book of uh, Judges. And it's the story of a young man named Gideon. And I'll just read a couple verses and then we'll just run with it. 
But it says that the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiserite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. Actually, the King James and the, uh, the original text speaks to it like this, to hide from the Midianites, that the word it isn't even in, in uh, the original text, that it was added to hopefully make more sense. But in this case, uh, I think it takes away from the meaning because the purpose of Gideon being in a wine press threshing wheat was actually hiding from the Midianite enemy. And it says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord be with us, why has all this happened to us? Have you ever said that? You ever thought that? You ever heard a preacher tell you God's with you? You ever had grandma tell you the Lord is with you, son or daughter? And you just thought, well, really? If the Lord is with us, why is all this going on? Why did I lose my job? Why did my friend die? Why am I suffering? Why do, you know, why am I behind on my mortgage three months? You know, have you ever wondered if God is really with me? Why? I think it's the greatest human dilemma in history is, okay, if God's real, if God really made everything, if, and if he really truly does love us, why do we suffer? Why do we go through this thing? Why do we have a pandemic? Why are we struggling? Why is there such strife and division, brokenness in our country right now? And so Gideon just called the angel out. And I kind of love that. I kind of love that he had the courage to speak his mind and not fake it and not act like everything was okay when it really wasn't okay. So he said, come on now, why has all this happened? And then he took another step. He said, where are all the wonders? Where's all the miracles that our fathers told us of? Saying, didn't the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hands of our enemies, the Midianites. So he goes a step further. He says, listen, you know, I'm tired of hearing about the miracles of yesteryear. I'm tired of hearing what God did for grandpa, grandma. Like, where's God now? And he said, I, I, don't even, I don't only think, where is God? But he said, I think God's actually abandoned us. I think God's left us. So this is pretty bold, speaking to an angel of God. And verse 14 is where the whole thing turns. It says, but... <laughs> The Lord turned to him and said, all of a sudden, it moves from the angel of the Lord to the Lord. He said, you think I've abandoned you? You think I've left you? Well, I'm going to speak to you right now. And he said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, he recognizes Jesus. Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my family. And the Lord said, I will be with you and you will strike the Midianites all down together. What a story. So here's this lost and hopeless Gideon and really a hopeless nation because if you read the verses preceding, you'll find out that all of Israel 
had been utterly destroyed by the Midianites, and they were hiding in dens and caves in the mountains. And the only one to come down was Gideon from this mountaintop. And somehow he chose to get in a wine press, and he is actually threshing wheat in the wine press. And here's the first thing I want you to see is the hope of God will always come to the hopeless. When you're hopeless, God doesn't wait for you to even call upon him. He'll just show up. He doesn't need you to call. He doesn't need you to pray. Now, he'd love for you to do that. But he doesn't even wait for a call or a prayer. He just shows up. He says, if you're brokenhearted, if you've been crushed, I'm close. Whether you want me or not, I'm close. I'm with you. He comes to the hopeless. He loves the hopeless. He'll listen to our tears or our cries. He'll, he'll, he'll wipe away our tears. He cares about your soul and your emotion and what you feel. God is not this distant God that has no empathy or no concern for you. He doesn't just want to come in and fix it. He, he wants to be close. He wants to heal our hearts. And so God comes to this man in this wine press, and I think we see the beginnings of where we get out of our hopelessness. We see Gideon, not by accident, in a wine press is where you put grapes down, you tread on grapes, and you make juice that turns into fermented juice, which becomes wine. But he's not in there treading grapes, he's threshing wheat, which is something you do to make bread. And so we see in the deliverance, in the very beginning, that there's the, the, the bread and the wine. There's the, 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 the juice and, and, and the bread, and there's the body and blood of Christ, and that's where our hope begins, is in that place of brokenness. The crushed body, the broken body, the crucified body of Jesus, who died for our sins, was broken for us and raised again in resurrection. This is where we begin. We begin with Jesus. We begin knowing that he is the only way out. The second thing is that the hope of God calls for faith over fear. God's calling Gideon to a massive step of faith. That hope is there to get us to the next place, to get us to the next step to give us faith to move from our despair into a new place. I love when, when God talks about Abraham uh, through the Apostle Paul in Romans 4. He describes Abraham like this. It says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. I love that. That against hope, he believed in hope. And so he became a father of many nations, just as, as it had been written or said to him, so shall your offspring be. See, God promised Abraham that he'd be a father, that he'd give him a son and his wife Sarah, but the problem was they're in their 90s, and that's a little bit late to start a family, and yet God said, I will give you a son. And it said, against hope, knowing that Sarah was barren, knowing that he probably didn't have what it took, he said, I believe in hope. There's always hope in God. But we've got to take that step of faith. We've got to kind of do the next thing. And what is, or what was the next thing for Gideon? The next thing for Gideon was to get out of the wine press. Take a step. Don't stay there. Go get that army together. 
What is your next step? If you're in that hopeless moment, that hopeless place right now, what are you to do? Where are you to go? I don't have a job. What, what, what would you do to get that job? What would you need to do for God to provide that job? Um, I remember the most hopeless moment in my life was probably seven, eight, nine years ago. I, I don't even remember the, the year, but, but I'd come out of my addiction and God had broken the power of the addiction that I'd had for 23 years in my life. But after the addiction was broken, I was still in this really hopeless state of despair and depression, and I couldn't get free from it. I didn't know why. I didn't know what. I went to counselors uh, trying to figure out why I was just living in this deep, dark hole of depression and despair. And some of you know what I'm talking about, and some of you maybe don't. And if you don't, God bless you. I hope you never have to experience it. But for those that do, it was like a dark hole where as much as you wanted to climb, as much as you sang, as much as you went to church, as much as you tried to drag yourself out, you'd never see light. And I just, all I ever wanted to do for literally a couple of years was just go to sleep to escape this, the, the despair and the, the depression, my crushed spirit, the sense of hopelessness. And I remember one one day I'm just in bed again and I'm just trying to escape these feelings and, and God just said, Blaine, you've got to get out. You've got to take a step. You can't just keep retreating. You can't just keep hiding. You can't just keep living in this cocoon, hoping it'll fade. And I just knew I had to step back into my world. And against hope and against all of the, the, the desires in my heart, all the emotions, I just began to reach out to people. And I began to meet people for coffee, and I began to have you know, meetings with my pastor, and I began to make phone calls to friends, and, and I just didn't want to do it. I, the last thing, I didn't have any emotional quotient to do it, but I knew I had to. And over the next several months, that depression and that despair slowly began to break its power or be broken of its power in my life until finally God completely set me free. But he did it through the steps that he gave me to do. You see, we do our part, God does his part. God told Moses, stretch forth your rod over the Red Sea, and I will part the Red Sea. You do this, Moses, and I'll do this. See, if we'll do the natural part, God will do the supernatural. That's where hope starts. Just enough hope to take that next step. So God's speaking to Gideon. And he says, I want you to have men of faith. I want men that believe. I want, I want an army that, that truly believes. And he says to Gideon in, in uh, Judges 7, he says, I want you to tell uh, all of those that you've gathered in your army, something very important. So by this time, Gideon's out of his wine press. He's got 32,000 men getting ready to fight the Midianites. Now, that sounds like a lot, but it really wasn't. Because the Midianites had a half a million people, according to scholars. So he's going to go fight with less than a tenth of his, of, of his enemy. 32,000 versus 500,000. So he's getting ready to go to war, and God says, okay, I want to make sure these are men of faith. He said, I want you to tell, before you go to battle, everyone in your army that's afraid to go home. If they're afraid, go home. Now think about that. 
You're about to fight a half a million people. And your leader's about to tell you, if you have any fear at all, you need to go home. I, you know, I had this, I had this sense that they were all afraid. Every one of them. Did you know something? You can feel fear and yet conquer and walk through that fear. He didn't say, if you feel fear, go home. He said, if you are afraid. Here's the difference. When he told them, if you're afraid, go home, there were a bunch that left. You want to know how many out of 32,000? 22,000 left. They acted on their fear. They walked away and said, we're out of here. Those were the ones that were truly afraid. Because you can live with fear. You can live with concern. You can live with a sense of, I'm not quite sure how this is going to work out. But if you keep showing up, and you keep stepping up, and you keep saying, God, I'm here, and I'm not going to walk away, then you're living in courage. Your courage and your faith is going to conquer your fears. So it's okay to feel fear. It's okay to feel the emotions that come in our hurt and our brokenness as long as we keep showing up, as long as we keep going to battle. So our hope drives us forward. You see, Christian hope is not, well, I hope my team wins the Super Bowl. <laughs> Christian hope is not, well, I hope I have a good day. It's not this, just this kind of blind optimism. Christian hope is anchored in the word of the Lord, is anchored in Christ is with us, is anchored in I will help you to destroy these Midianites if you step forward. I love that. The third thing I want you to see is the hope of God lives ready for battle all the time. Our hope in God gets us to a place where we are alert and always ready for battle. We're battle ready. Uh, I love this part of the story because, I mean, if, you know, if I were Gideon and God had already, you know, shaved my army down from 32,000 to 10,000 and I'm going to fight a million, I would have thought that that was good enough. But God comes one more time and he says, Gideon, <laughs> you still have too many. He said, I want you to take everyone in your army down to the brook, and I want you to get them a drink. So take all 10,000, go to the brook, spread out, and tell them to drink. And so he does. He gets these warriors. They get down to the brook. He says, hey, we're going to go fight in a minute. We're going to go to battle. But first of all, we're all going to get a drink of water. Let's get a real good, healthy drink of water before we go fight. But God says, watch how they drink. I want you to observe how they drink that water. And he said, all the ones that get down on their hands and knees, start lapping up the water, drinking it from their mouth like a dog. He said, I want you to single them out. He said, I want you to send them home. Everyone that drinks water like a dog. I thought, you know, I... I that might have been me. I've done that. Have you ever been to a river somewhere? I used to live not far from the Rockies in Canada, and I remember we'd go hiking and fishing, and we'd go, you know, 
cli mountain climbing, and we'd find a nice cold river coming down from the snow-capped mountain, and man, we'd just put our face right in that water and start drinking it up. I thought I might have done that. But God said, you watch, and all of those in your, in your, your army that cup the water and bring it up to their mouth like this, he said, they're the ones you keep. Those are the warriors right there. And so the, the, the beauty of it is God doesn't even give an explanation. He doesn't even say, no, this is why. He just says, do it. So Gideon calls his warriors, and he says, let's get a drink. Let's go to the brook, and they all drink. So they're all drinking, and finally Gideon says, all right, everybody that is drinking on your hands and knees like a dog, would you please stand up? And out of 10,000, 9,700 stood up. They said, that's us. We drank like dogs. And Gideon says, you have to go home. What do you mean we have to go home? Well, you, you drank like dogs. I know, but we're not afraid. I know, but you drank the wrong way. You have to go home. So they go home. They're probably kicking the dirt, wondering why they didn't get to fight just because we drank the wrong way. Walk in, you know, their mom's cooking up dinner, and there's like, Jimmy? Thought you were fighting with Gideon. Well, I was. Well, what happened? He sent me home. Why'd he send you home? Well, we went and got a, you know, drink at the brook, and I drank the wrong way. <laughs> well, you drank the wrong way. Well, how, well, what do you mean? How'd you drink? Drank like a dog. <laughs> Jimmy, I've told you not to drink like a dog. <laughs> Cup your water, young man. And I wondered what God was up to. But I think we know. Because when you cup your water, your head is up and you're ready and you're alert. That even in a momentary pleasure, you're still ready for battle. Folks, we have to live ready. God gives us pleasures in this world and joys in this world. He gives us all things to richly enjoy. And yet he says, I want you to live battle ready. Keep your eyes open for others. Keep your eyes and your heart open for your family. Keep your eyes and your heart open for your neighbor. Keep your eyes and your heart open for where the enemy is trying to steal or kill or destroy because you have the power through Jesus to stop him. Don't put your face in the water. Don't let this world and all of its cares and all of its anxieties and all of its pursuits, don't let it drown you. Stay up. Stay ready. Stay focused. And so finally, he's down to 300. This is the end of the story. And God says, all right, you can go. Oh, you don't want to take any more, Lord? No, that's good. 300's good. We're fighting a half a million. I know. What do we do? And now we see the part of hope where the hope of God doesn't always make sense. So God says, I want you to surround them. Lord, they have a half a million, we have 300. Spread out. They're down in a valley. There's mountaintops surrounding the Midianites, and God says, I want you to line up three sections, a hundred in each section on the three mountains. And it said, each section, I want all of your warriors to have a couple things ready. 
have a torch with fire, have a clay pitcher, and have a voice. And that's all you're going to need. Lord, how about a sword? No, no, not necessary. Uh, guns, rifles, anything? No. Clay pitcher, a uh, torch, and a voice. That's it. Oh, yeah, one more thing. Uh, grab a trumpet. Bring a trumpet. That, that's it? That's it. We're going we're gonna to hit the Midianites with trumpets. I guess that's what we're going to do. So, none of it makes sense. This is not how you win battles. This is not how you go to war. And then God says, once you get there, wait till about 10 o'clock at night. The Bible calls it, I think, the third watch. He said, wait till it's dark. Blow the trumpet. Shout the sword of the Lord in Gideon. Have the clay pitcher over the torch. Break the clay pitcher and then march down and the battle will be won. Makes no sense. Never been done before, never been done after. But they did it. So I want you to imagine what happened. Midianites in the valley, 10 o'clock at night. They're not worried. They're partying, sleeping at the disco, doing whatever. Midianites do. All of a sudden, they hear a trumpet. 300, actually. Blow trumpets. A trumpet in that day was a sign of war. Armies that were about to attack and knew they were going to win would blow trumpets. Armies that were going to attack and didn't think they were going to win would not announce they were coming. So the very fact that they hear 300 trumpets, they're freaking out. They're thinking somebody is about to attack us and somebody thinks they're going to win. But then they hear a shout. So the Midianites have you know, looking around, looking out, and they hear this, the sword of the Lord in Gideon. Well, they have no idea what this means because they've never heard of Gideon. They didn't know what the sword of the Lord meant, but they were a little bit concerned. So now they're looking around. They've heard the trumpet. They've heard the shout, and God says, break the clay pitchers. So there's clay pitchers over the torch, so you can't see the fire, and then all of a sudden, all 300 of these get broken The clay pitcher falls to the ground, and a fire is exposed. And from a distance, from valley to top of mountain, it appears that 300 fires have appeared out of nowhere. I mean, just exploding in the air. And now the Midianites are freaking out. It's like this army supernatural. They're bringing fire out of nowhere. And then they see the 300 fires beginning to come their direction. And they're only imagining how many warriors and soldiers are behind the 300 fires. And they get so fearful and so confused and so out of sorts that the scripture says that the Midianites destroyed each other. They didn't even have to raise a sword. They didn't even have to throw a punch. They just showed up and the battle was won. Let me tell you, God will ask you to do things. He'll give you steps out of your hopelessness, but you don't have to win all the battles alone. He will make a way where there is no way, as we sang, through Jesus. There's this power 
And there's this ability that God brings that doesn't make sense, but I'm telling you, he is God. And he will get you through situations that you think there's no way. Not everything makes sense with God. And even in this present world, there are moments where you wonder, is God really there? This part of my life right now doesn't make sense. wonder if you remember after the resurrection, there were these two men walking on a road, seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and they're walking along, and they're like lamenting the fact that their Savior is dead. The revolutionary of love is dead. Jesus was finally crucified and put in the grave. It's over. The revolution is done. We thought he was going to save us from Rome. We thought he was going to be there forever, but he's gone. And so they're lamenting. And it said that they said these words, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. But we had hoped. Four of the most powerful words in Scripture but we had hoped. Maybe you've said that, but we had hoped our marriage would make it, but we had hoped our son would come home, but we had hoped this wasn't a cancerous tumor, but we had hoped for a better job, or but we had hoped we'd carry this baby to term, or but we had hoped the depression would leave or the addiction would stop. If we ever said that, but we had hoped. And all of a sudden, a man comes alongside these two, and he starts to walk with them, and he says, what are you lamenting? And they looked at him in exasperation, saying, haven't you heard? Don't you know? Jesus died. He was crucified. And the man began to talk to them and expound on the scriptures, and they had no idea. But Jesus was walking with them, <laughs> and he brought them hope. I'm going to tell you something. When life is at its worst for you, that's when Jesus is closest. And he comes right alongside you and he walks with you. And the greatest hope we have is not that life's going to be perfect, not that we're never going to go through a valley or a shadow of death, but the hope that God is going to walk with us. He's going to walk through it with us. And he's going to get us to the other side, even if the other side is eternity. Because sometimes we're left with that one hope. If you've ever lost a loved one that was taken before you thought they should be taken, that somehow a life was snuffed out before they even lived into their prime, you know that sometimes our hope is only an eternal hope but yet it is eternal, and it is everlasting. Would you bow your head with me? Close your eyes for just a moment. I want to pray for you precious people. God loves you so much. Jesus, as we walk through hopeless moments in our life that we all encounter, that none of us, none of us get to make it through life without a struggle, without a sense of where is God, that those are the realities that, Lord, in those moments, we can't even recognize you, but you are present. And maybe you're present through a family member, or maybe you're present through a friend, and maybe you're present through some circumstance that miraculously changes everything, but you are present. 
And we don't see you and we don't always recognize you, but Lord, today we're here to say, be present where we have no hope. Lord, we invite you into our lives, into our family, into this moment, into this season, even into the crisis that we call America right now. Be present, Lord, and bring hope where there is no hope. If you're here this morning, you say, Blaine, I, man, I need Jesus in my life like I've never needed him before. Or maybe you're just like, I, I know I have Jesus in my life, but I just feel like he's so far away. Um, just pray for me this morning. Would you just put your hand up, put it down? I'll just pray a quick prayer for you. Don't want to embarrass you in any way. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Man, women, young people, another lady there. God bless you. Another lady there. Another. Who else? Anyone else? All right. Lord, for those that just feel that, that crush in their spirit, for those that, Lord, just have some, some part of their heart that's been broken, some, some place of disappointment that is just bringing them pain. I pray, God, that you would come alongside and heal, as you said you would, to do your work, to make all things right, and to give us, Lord, eyes that would open and see the goodness of God and where you're leading us and how to walk through this. We pray it all in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, in the name of our Comforter, the Holy Spirit. Everybody said amen. Amen.